Amen. What a great truth in that song, amen? He is the lion and the lamb. I think sometimes we remember he's the lamb, but we forget he's also the lion of Judah. And uh, our Savior is not weak, amen? Um, he is not dead. He is not in a tomb somewhere. Uh, they placed him in a tomb for three days, but they had to call it a borrowed tomb because he didn't stay there very long. And so I want you to remember this morning as we worship, man, there's so much power in the truth that he is the Lion of Judah. Yes, he is the Lamb that went to the cross. He is the Lamb that was sacrificed, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. He was the perfect sacrifice. John says it this way, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not just puts them away or covers them up for a time. See, in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. For one year, their sins were covered, the Bible would say. But Jesus wasn't about covering our sins. Jesus was about taking our sins away. And I love the example that he says, man, your sins are forgotten. They are as far as the east is from the west. And we think about that. We think, well, how in the world can God forget something? How in the world can God forget? God is God. If God can forget something, is he really God? And I wasn't going to go here, but I heard an illustration not too long ago, and I thought this was perfect. This was perfect. Years and years and years ago, a gentleman in England found himself with some money. He was quite wealthy, and he decided to purchase a Rolls Royce. And he wanted it for a long time, and he purchased this vehicle. This is going way back. I believe it was in the 50s or 60s, the story goes. And he bought this vehicle. And you know, one of the things about a Rolls Royce is they say it'll never break down. It is such meticulously crafted. I mean, every single one is hand. They don't mass produce Rolls Royce. There's no assembly line where it just pumps them out. It takes a long time to make one. Because every detail is given such great attention. And so this gentleman said, man, I, I want this vehicle. I've always wanted one. I've got some money. I'm going to do it. Where he gets this vehicle... He has it for about three months, and it actually broke down. Broke down on the side of the road. And he thought, there's no way this is happening. So he calls the company. And he says, hey, I purchased this vehicle. You told me it would never break down. It broke down three months later. I need someone to take care of this. The company flew, listen now, flew an engineer and a mechanic to the site, took care of everything, fixed it up brand new. Everything was great. Flew back. About a month goes by, and this gentleman realizes he never received a bill for this service. Now, I don't know about you. When my car breaks down, nobody's flying from anywhere to fix my car. You know what I'm saying? And when I do get it serviced, guess what there always is? That's right. Anybody else skeptical of mechanics? If you're a mechanic in here today, I mean, like, not like a backyard, but like you do it as a profession. This is not to offend you in any way. I am so skeptical of mechanics. Because I know so little about a car. I could take it in there and the guy would be like, yeah, you need a new blah, 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 blah. With the twist and the blah, 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 blah. Radiator. Hose. Do my jiggy. I, I don't know, whatever. And I look at him and I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll take two. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Yeah, it'll be $750. Oh, is, that, is that normal? Is that? Yeah, you really, really need this part for this car. This guy could be making it all up for all I know. I have no clue. 
So this guy realizes he never gets a bill, and he's kind of the kind of guy that likes to pay his bills on time. And he realized it's been a little over a month, and so he calls the company back, and he says, excuse me, um, you know, I'm the kind of guy I really want to, I don't want this lingering around and hanging over my head. I need to pay for this bill. What do I owe you for that repair that you did on my, on my vehicle? And the company said, well, I'm sorry, sir. We looked through our records. We have no record of ever having serviced your vehicle. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm, as far as we can tell, your vehicle never broke down. So there's nothing to pay for because it never broke down. You get where I'm going with this? Did the vehicle break down? Did the company want anyone to know the vehicle broke down? See, they forgot the repair. There was no bill because as far as they were concerned, it was all taken care of. Nothing needed to be paid. It's already been taken care of. You see, when Jesus went to the cross and he gave himself on that cross, I don't know that we get fully what that represents. That when he died on the, on the cross for our sins and you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says he blots out our transgressions. He, he erases them. You know what that means? When you call, if you could call God, we talk about conversations with God. If you could ask God, God, how do you feel about my sins that I've committed in the past? He would look at you. And if they're in Christ, he would say, I, I have no record of you sinning. I, as far as I can tell, you've never sinned. Do you get that? I mean, does that ever just hit you like, what? Now, is God, when we do sin, make a sin choice, obviously we understand in the flesh there's consequences. But you know what the consequence is never? It's never you lose your salvation. Because he says, from my point of view, it's covered. It's done. It's under the blood. So then why is sin such a horrible thing? Because from me to him, it begins to invade and break apart that intimacy. That's why forgiveness, me asking for forgiveness and confessing and repenting is so key. Not that God goes, okay, you've asked me now and you really seem like you mean it, so now I'm going to go ahead and restore your salvation and forgive you. No, no, no. He says, no, because now that you're brokenhearted and contrite over this thing, now you're going to come back to me and we have that fellowship again, that relationship again. You don't have to beg God to save you again. When you ask, you don't have to beg him to save you the first time. All it is is simple faith and belief and saying, God, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And once we do that, the Bible says, get this, when you stand before him one day, and we all will stand before him one day. Let me say that again. We all will stand before him one day. Some on one side, some on the other. And you know what's, as a pastor, I've said this before, the most terrifying verse in the Bible to me, as a pastor of a church that's been in ministry now for just a short time, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Because you know what that tells me? Not some in churches, not a few in churches in America today, but he says, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord. Didn't we do all this stuff in your name? You used us, you used our church, you used our ministry. Because God is God and he'll use anything to his glory. He uses everything to his glory. But he'll look at you and say, hmm, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you for a short time, and then you walked away. Did you get that? You didn't have it and then lost it and got it again and, oh, you lost it again and had it again and lost it again. I've always asked people when I've had conversations, people say, that, well, I believe you can lose your salvation. I'll ask them, well, tell me what sin it is then that loses your salvation. What is that one sin because James says if you offend in one area, you've offended in all. 
Well, it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, we can't recreate that sin today. All we can do is blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, die in our sins, the ultimate rejection of the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. That's the unforgivable sin, to die in our sin. And when you receive Christ, it is so amazing that we will stand before him one day and he will open up his books. Now, I don't know if they're literal books. I don't know. But that's the word picture we're given. He opens his books and he starts looking. And he gets to your name, the name he gave you, not your earth, his, the name he gave you. And he says, oh, man, you are forgiven and free. And turn to the joy of the Lord. Can you imagine that day? When you stand not in your pride, not in your arrogance, not in your religion, not in your I did this, I did that. All that stuff that's filthy rags before a holy and just God. But you stand before the God of all God, the God of all creation. And he says, I have no record of you ever sinning. Not because of what you've done, but because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, that's why we don't come here for us today. We can come here and hear a great self-help talk. Get patted on the back, right out the door, right in the sin. We can go back to our daily lives and not worry about your neighbor, your coworker, your family member, or friend who is dying on their way to hell. Not worry about the communities around you that are just wholeheartedly running full bore into sin. And we're focused on our little kingdoms. Well, my little kingdom is good. Look how much I've done. We could do that. And I can, man, I can find all kinds of stuff online. I can give you all kinds of great talks and tips and strategies to live the best life now or any other garbage you want to talk about. Wouldn't it be greater to stand on that day before Christ and he says, not only are your sins forgiven and there's no record of you sinning, here, I want you to see what you've done for me and here's, the crown, here's a crown for this and then here's a crown for this and look at how you did this for me. And he gets to just begin to honor you and you're just humbled and before him in tears saying, God, I don't deserve any of this. He says, oh, look at the disciples. Look at what you've done for my kingdom. Maybe you didn't make a bunch of money. Maybe you did. It doesn't really matter. Because what matters is what are we doing for his kingdom? Because I don't want to be the only one before him that he says your sins are forgiven. Man, I want more and more people to come before me and to hear them say, man, your sins are forgiven. There's no record of it. But isn't that the point of why we're here? So I want to do this. None of that was in my notes. So we're going to be here till like 1.30. Because that ain't even, like it's not, I mean it is, some of it's in here obviously, but. But let's do this. I want to just open in prayer. And man, I love that song. And I want to just praise God and say, God, thank you that there is no record. Because I'm in Christ. Not because I go to church. Not because I went in some baptismal. Not because my mom and dad are Christians. Not because of anything else. Zero. Jesus plus nothing. Eternal life. So let's do this this morning. Let's just bow in prayer and ask God to move, continue to move in our hearts and minds as we get into his word and just thank him that the record is cleansed. Father, we thank you for your grace. We sing Amazing Grace. We sing these songs that try as feeble attempts to put into words the magnitude of your grace and mercy. Lord, I know for me, the evidence in my life of the 
the awareness of your forgiveness, the awareness of what you've done on the cross, the evidence that that, that awareness is starting to, to fade. The evidence in my life personally, I can't speak for any other person in this room, but the evidence in my life, when I start to become less and less aware of the magnitude of what you've done for me, the magnitude of the cross, and again, it wasn't even about me. Father, I think that's the greatest lie I tell myself is that I elevate myself in pride thinking that somehow the cross was all about me. Ultimately, the cross is all about you. The cross is meant to magnify you, to glorify you, to honor you. Yes, we obviously benefit from that. And you want a relationship with us for eternity. And man, praise your name for that. But when I start to become less and less aware of your glory in the cross, the true and full purpose scripture reveals about salvation, I become apathetic. I become selfish. I become discontented with life. I start whining and complaining about me what I'm getting or not getting, and I lose total focus on the king of kings. This is all about you. And so may we do nothing else today than just promote the name of Christ. Elevate you and honor you and praise you. And I know in church we hear those words a lot. We hear things like honor God, praise him, praise the Lord, hallelujah. We hear these Christian terms so often, and for some of us, they are literally just Christian terms. So, Father, I pray that as we go into your word and as we discuss a topic that is heavy to discuss, that for many in this room, Lord, is just difficult to think about, let alone talk about, I pray that we would see you in it and through it, and we would see that there is a design and a purpose. And Father, we thank you for your grace. When we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Ten minutes in, I already need a Kleenex. Do you believe that? Open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. For the praise band this morning, in case you couldn't tell, I liked that last song you guys did. That was good. That was a joke. Obvious I liked it. Okay. Um, I want to talk this morning about a topic that um, stirs up a lot of emotions. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the topic of the sanctity of life. Uh, we talked about the sacredness of life, the value of life. And we used the term, we talked to the term abortion. And I said that when I say the word abortion, just saying the word in our culture can drive lots of emotions, can it not? Um, we think of many different things. Some of us have different feelings of anger. Uh, some get sad. Some are brokenhearted. Some are furious. Uh, just the word itself can just stir up so many emotions in us. Well, this morning we're going to be speaking about the topic of homosexuality. And that word, again, in our culture today is a word that just stirs up Countless emotions. And I've only been in ministry, as I said, I did youth ministry from 2005 until 2016. And uh, miss it greatly, um, but love, love what God has allowed me to be a part of. And uh, this topic came up much more often the farther in the youth ministry we, we got. Um, 
countless students would come and ask very difficult questions. And I love when students or teenagers ask difficult questions that they don't realize are difficult questions. See, as adults, we start to kind of sift through the questions, don't we? Well, I can't ask that. That's a little too complicated. I don't want to go into that. But students, especially children and teenagers, they just ask the questions. And that's one thing, honestly, Sandra and we loved about youth ministry is there was no, like, to your face one thing and behind your back another for us. It was like, I don't like you. And we had students, um, we had a couple students, a couple girls years ago that just got so mad uh, because I shared some truth with them in a loving way. Uh, but they didn't like that. And uh, they were 16, 15 years old, so they knew everything. And, uh, you know, some of you have teenagers or have raised teenagers, and you know at 15 you magically are aware of everything. You know everything. It's amazing. You just become all-knowing in that moment. And, uh, and we had some students that I was, uh, they texted me and said, uh, we're, we're not coming back to youth group, and we won't be back as long as you're the youth pastor. You know, long, long, you, went out, you, went, you stepped over your bounds. You're not our dad. Who are you to tell us this and judge us and attack us? When people are in sin and you bring even loving words of encouragement to them, they will often get defensive. And that's not against you. That's what conviction does and guilt does. And you just lash out. And we'll use words like attack, right? Judge, condemn, even if you're not judging, attacking, or condemning them. And I shared love with them. I said, look, I said, man, I want you guys to come back. We miss you guys. I want you to know why I did what I did and said what I said. And uh, about two weeks, maybe two weeks, uh, went by. We're out back here playing a game. And uh, because that's all we did in youth ministry was play games and order pizza. That was pretty much youth ministry. So (laughs) you see why I miss it now? Like it was great. Dodgeball every week and pizza on Friday nights. It was great. Um, They come walking out. They came a little late. And... uh, there was really two of them that were kind of the, the force behind the other one that didn't really want to come. And uh, I turned and I saw them, and they just came up and hugged me. And they just said, man, I'm so thankful that you told us what we needed to hear, not what we wanted to hear. And I was, like, just floored. I didn't say anything magic or special. I just told them the truth. But it was so cool because they were like, man, thank you so much. We needed to hear that. Look at this. Look at this. That's a servant right there. I'm going to just, like, put a whole pack in my pocket. Sandra was like, you know, it's okay to get a Kleenex every now and then. I was like, oh, that's so distracting. As somebody with borderline ADD, I don't know if I have it or not. I always say I do because if this is natural, look out. Somebody moving around always, I'm like, what's that? Did you see that? Somebody moved. The wind? Squirrel? Squirrel? The point is, sometimes in topics like homosexuality, guess what we have to do? We have to have difficult conversations. They're not fun. We don't look forward to them. But my prayer is that when you have that conversation, that somebody will turn and say, you know, thank you so much for telling me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. So we're going to talk about this just a little bit this morning. I have taken up so much time with other things, but but I want to work through this. And here's what I want us to realize. Jesus In the Gospels, hear me now, Jesus in the Gospels never spoke directly to homosexuality. What I mean is Jesus never directly quote, you can't quote Jesus as him saying this and then described homosexuality is sin, using the words and all of that. So what many people will do today is they'll say, well, Jesus never said it was wrong. 
It was the Old Testament that had it messed up, or it's later in the New Testament that people had it wrong. But Jesus, and I don't know why this is a popular thing to do, but Jesus never said homosexuality is a sin. That's not a lie, if you're saying, like, verbatim. But we said this about abortion, didn't we? Nowhere do you read necessarily that abortion, the word abortion is not used. That shouldn't surprise us because language changes. We have different words for different things. But I want to look at what did Jesus say about human relationships, specifically in the area of intimacy. Because I think he gives us a principle that touches every area of our lives in this regard. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. It says this, You have heard it said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So now we're going to say, oh, well, and now he's going to say adultery is fine. No, no, no. Jesus was amazing at this. I don't know how he was, I mean, obviously he's God and God man, but just amazing how he would take the law and he wouldn't just speak to the literal law. He would define and break apart the heart of the law, the point of the law. And look what he says in verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Then he uses very clear imagery about what to do if your eye offends you. He is not being literal here. He doesn't literally mean to pluck out, pluck out the eyebrow or the eyeball. The eyebrow. Pluck your eyebrows if you need to. That's your personal choice. I don't judge. Um, but he's not being literal here. He's saying the idea is if you should take this so seriously, you should guard your eyes so seriously that you would rather lose the ability to see than to put something impure before your eyes. That's the picture he's saying. Can you get that with me? Because, see, I think there's a couple of these topics we've talked about with conversations with God that I think hit closer to home than others. I honestly think, for me, motives and words were the two topics that, for me, were like the ones that God was just, just hitting me hard with. For some of you, it's the idea of faith being not about you, about God. Some of you, it's giving, just your finances. You, you kind of, you like the idea that 90 is mine and 10 is God's. I like that simple formula. And God, don't you dare ask me to give you 15 or 20 or even maybe, I don't know, 30% like they did in the Old Testament. So many people like to quote the verse about you're robbing God of his tithes and offerings, but they, and they say it's a tenth, but they don't take into consideration it really is more like 30% is what they gave in the Old Testament. So if you want to quote that verse and tell me that I have to give 10% or else I'm violating God's law, then you better give 30%, not eat certain foods, not wear certain cotton blends. You getting where I'm going with this? We got to be so careful here. Man, it's a slippery slope. The idea, why did he say this tithe idea? He said it's a it's a round, it's the idea of giving back. So for some, that hit hard, closer to home. But for this one, I think this is going to hit close to home for a lot of us. And that's okay, because we need to think soberly about these things. Jesus says that you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And I've heard, oh, I've never committed adultery. I've never done that. Nope, never done that. Then he says, well, have you ever looked after a member of the opposite sex with lust in your heart? And if you have, you've already done it. 
Now, did literally no, but he's saying in your heart, you've already violated the principle of this law. So what can we learn from this about human sexuality, about relationships between men and women, about marriage? What can we learn from this about intimacy? One man, one woman, for life in marriage. That is God's design for intimacy. Anything, say this again, anything outside of that is sin. So right here is where a lot of pastors get on their little soapbox and they'll get a lot of amens in some churches by just really going after those that are pro-homosexual lifestyle. I mean, just really saying all kinds of things about that lifestyle and about that group and about those people. And man, churches are hoop and holler and amen and hallelujah. And it's great. Makes great YouTube videos. It really does. Does nothing for the cause of Christ, but it makes great entertainment. Here's the points. So many of us get so wrapped up in pointing fingers at one sin, we're forgetting that we, if we are married and with a husband or with a wife, and we're wandering eyes, and we're looking at other women, or we're looking at other men, or we're reading books we have no business reading, watching things you have no business watching, but yet you're going to harp on them because they're committing sexual sin, what do you think you're doing? I'm just going to tell you. Men are visually motivated when it comes to intimacy. Women are emotionally or mentally motivated when it comes to intimacy. That means men will watch things before them, but women will usually read things about intimacy because it allows them to draw mental images rather than seeing it before them. Do you know that pornography is rampant in our world today? Do you know that America is one of the, if not the number one, it was a few years ago, the number one producer of pornography in the world, but it's not the number one consumer? Think about that. We're not the number one consumer of pornography, but we're the number one producer of pornography in the world. God bless America, right? Where's our patriotism then? Where's our national pride then? You want to stand for something, stand against those things. We're producing this garbage and sending it all over the world. But man, we better protest this group or boycott Walmart because they sold a DVD of a movie that I don't agree with. You want to boycott something? Go right ahead. I have no problem with that. But stop looking at all these other things and saying, this is such a horrible thing. And go home and watch that crap on your TV. Do you see where I'm going here? It's not about elevating one sin above another as we do this talk. It's about understanding anything outside of the bonds of one man, one woman, in marriage, for life. That's God's design. That's what Jesus emphasized. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they will become one flesh. May God designed marriage. We didn't. Because if we could design something, it wouldn't be that strict, would it? Let's be real for a minute. Let's be honest. If humanity designed marriage, it would not be one man, one woman for life. Do you know how we know that's true? Because the farther we've gotten from the garden, the farther we've gotten from, from the fall of man, the more and more we've started violating and breaking apart those things. In our country today, it is 100% legal for a man to marry a man. And people got so irate about that. I didn't like it, but I wasn't surprised by it. And if you were surprised by it, I'm really sorry, but our world is pretty messed up if you haven't been paying attention. And I, I, I said it, I said it then, and I'll say it again. When people got so mad about I all this it's doing to marriage, it's tearing apart the family, it's tearing down the marriage, my thought was, no, 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 the Christians that have been living hypocritical lives, having affairs, pornography, that's part of the picture, by the way. 
We didn't just trip and fall into broken homes in our country. So this is my point. I'm not saying any of it's okay. I'm not saying it's like this because I want to make it all okay. No, no, I'm saying it's all sin if it's outside of God's design. So let's, as we talk through this, keep that in the back of our mind. Someone that professes to, to be involved in a homosexual relationship or even tempted in that way, it is not and should never be treated as the unforgivable sin. They should not be shunned and condemned and tormented and beaten down. Have a conversation with somebody. Open the word of God and say, man, this is how much God loves you. We are all tempted in so many ways, and it's so important we don't ever start promoting one as greater or worse. Oh, no, it's the, it's the most abominable sin, some will say. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Look at, look at what Jesus says here again. He says, if you look after a woman or a man in context with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. What do we do if we go outside of God's design for marriage or for intimacy? The same thing we do with any other sin. We repent, we confess, we seek restoration, and we move on in Christ. If somebody is in that lifestyle or making those kind of choices, whether it be heterosexual or homosexual and does not know Christ, you don't start talking about their sin issue. You talk about sin. You just talk about sin in general and say we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But as we will learn, this struggle with sexuality is as old as the garden and the fall. Romans chapter 1, look at verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. Vile affections, not wholesome. This is not a good affection to have. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Mm. What's, the, what's the causation of this sin? A lack of a knowledge of God or retaining him in their knowledge. It says, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Then he lists all these sins. What does Paul say here? Paul says, man, it's just, you look around you. Paul could look out his window in any Roman province and see just this, this lifestyle all before him. We think this is so new. So many people romanticize the past. I wish we could go back to the 50s when it wasn't like this. Are you kidding me? This is not a new issue. It's not new. It's been. And in fact, the Roman Empire was notorious for this. If you have never studied history, I warn you, study it with great caution. But study it anyway and see the things that happened in our history as a, as a race of people, as human beings. It will disgust you, the things that the Roman Empire practiced in. Even the Greeks, the great philosophical Greeks and the things that they allowed themselves to get involved with. The Roman Empire was rampant with this type of living Written, the book of Romans was written in 57 A.D. 57 A.D., Paul warns the early church that this type of living is against the natural use of God's design by men being with men and women with women. Isn't that interesting? The amazing thing to me is that the exact argument that is used among those that promote this type of lifestyle is that it is natural and therefore God-designed. 
What does Paul say? It is so obvious this goes against nature. This is not God's design. Scientists have speculated for decades, maybe even longer, about the causes or the causation of someone to be homosexual versus heterosexual. Is it biological? Is it neurological? The best they can determine, they have believed to notice certain aspects of brain functions that do seem to encourage gender development. This is what scientists are saying. Okay, hear me out now. Some say that in the MRIs, they have found in research that a gay man's mind and a straight woman's mind have similar functions. They've also seemed to notice that a, uh, a gay woman and a straight man share similar functions. So this sounds really scientific and conclusive. What have they concluded? They haven't made a definitive conclusion. It's all just speculation. They say the evidence is too vague and inconclusive. However, I think the Bible gives us a pretty good clue as to what creates and causes this lifestyle. I believe we are created by God with a design. We were created and formed with purpose, and then sin entered in. Do you hear what I'm saying? We were created by God and designed with purpose, and sin entered in. And as sin entered in, it perverted that design. And so in our carnal or natural mind, we go against his plan, even when we don't realize it. So here's my point. We are born sinners in need of a Savior. As we grow, we will begin to sin in various ways. The point is, once we understand our sin and come to Christ, we turn and cease that sin, no matter how badly our flesh tempts us. Here's my point. I do not know of any scientific, neurological, biological cause for gender choosing, meaning whether you're homosexual, heterosexual, transgender. I don't, I've not, there's no exact evidence. Here, look, this causes it. There's no such thing in science. But I will tell you this, the Bible says that the natural man turns against God at every moment. And in my flesh and in my sin, I desire to not do what God says. So if this is God's design in any area of life, I'm doing the opposite. Do you get where I'm going with this? You were not designed, created by God to be this if you're in this sin. But as you've lived your life, you can choose to go against that design and sin in certain ways. Going against the creation of God. The truth is, our society is becoming more and more accepting of this lifestyle. This idea of just, just being a normal, natural way that we were created, whether God-designed or otherwise. I think that the statement, our society is becoming more accepting of this lifestyle, that statement can be taken many ways, can it not? Our society is becoming more accepting of this lifestyle. Some see that statement as progress. That's progress. We're, we're advancing as a society and as a people because we're coming more and more accepting of this lifestyle. Some see it as our moral downfall. Isn't it amazing how one statement can be taken so many different ways? It's, it's great progress. Oh, we're going down. But the truth is, that statement is true. We are becoming more accepting of this lifestyle. So we're left as the followers of Christ to decide what do we do about that. I truly believe we should love the person of any sin state. Do you know what I said? We love the person no matter what their sin state is. In sin, certain sins, this sin. But again, that does not mean we agree with the lifestyle. 
Americans are becoming more accepting in the views of LGBT people and homosexuality in general. And the number of people identifying as LGBT has grown in recent years. Isn't it amazing that when our society pushes something as normal, more and more people seem to gravitate towards it? This is why, for example, when revival hit America, all these people were flocking to the church. Whether true believers or not, we don't know, but they were flocking in. Because this is culturally accepted now. In the 50s, it was culturally accepted to go to church. So more people went to church. I don't know that I believe more of them were Christians than there are today. By the way, people going to church doesn't automatically mean Christian, right? We get that, right? So I don't know. I mean, are these people really honestly identifying with this? Or is it just the culture is making it so normal people gravitate towards it? Maybe people are allowing inhibitions to be let loose because now it's more accepted. So now I can be, quote, who I was made to be. 63% of Americans said in 2016 that homosexuality should be accepted by society compared with 51% in 2006. LGBT adults recognize the change in attitudes. About 9 in 10, that's 92%, said in a 2013 Pew Research Center survey of adults identifying as LGBT that society had become more accepting of them in the previous decade. Does this surprise us? No. Should not surprise us in the least. We are aware, again, that the farther we get from the fall of sin, the more sin will grow. So while we are not surprised by the rise of acceptance of sin, we also are not surprised by the rise of other sins. Christians that will go on and on about how disgusted they are about the rampant media attention given to this lifestyle, how it's everywhere, it's in every TV show, you can't watch a show without hearing it, will often glaze over their own sin or mistakes, if you will. Isn't that interesting? I've had conversations. Oh, it's just everywhere. I can't believe every movie's got it in every TV show. I can't believe it. We're just so, oh, it's just blah, 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 blah. And I get frustrated. Trust me. I'm frustrated. I told you guys. I'm trying to watch the Andy Griffith show. And i got to put up with stupid commercials of women in their bras running around. Just dumb stuff. Andy Griffith. Come on. I don't like where the media is going. I don't like all of this. But there's a strategy behind it in our enemy's eyes. Believe me, Ephesians 6 was not lying when it said that other people are not your enemy. But there is one who is working behind the shadows, behind the curtain, if you will. He doesn't want you to pull back the curtain. He wants you to keep thinking that your neighbor's your enemy, that Hollywood's your enemy, that that person is your enemy, that your coworker's your enemy. And you keep buying the bait, you keep buying in and attacking people, and he's winning. Rather than that, put on the full armor of God. Pray with all prayer. Give all prayer and supplication for the saints and for others. And watch God start to reveal to you, it's not Hollywood we should be worried about. It's not your neighbor. It's not your coworker or your spouse or anyone else that you want to point fingers at. It is the enemy, Satan himself and the flesh inside. Those are the two we need to be warring against. And I'm telling you right now, some of you, man, you're buying his bait. Ah, uh, you know what? That stuff's never really bothered me. I'm not really bothered by partial nudity in a movie. It does, oh, a little make-out scene every now and then. I know this is PG-13 content, so if any parents have it, it we'd love to talk to you more about this, but I'm, I'm kind of just done with the church playing like we shouldn't be talking about this stuff. Because some of you parents 
have this mindset, well, when you're a kid, you can't watch this, but we'll watch that after you go to bed. What garbage thinking. Any man in this room that puts a half-naked woman in front of them continuously, you are not doing it for entertainment. You're doing it because you're giving in the lust. And you can lie to yourself and play what, I don't care. He said, Jesus says. And you might say, oh, preacher, you don't get it. I get it. Man, we all battle with temptation. Let me just tell you that right now. And I'm so tired of our world pushing it down our throats. But the result is not to yell and scream about one sin. It's to address all sin as serious. And you might say, man, you seem kind of upset today. A little flustered. No, I'm ticked off. You know why I'm ticked off? Because Satan is a jerk. And he's smart. And he's cunning. And he's crafty. And he is taking families wayward. And he's come against every family in this church. You know how I know that's true? Not because I had a talk with every family in this church, because he comes after all of us. And your flesh is coming after you. Man, we all deal with temptation, and we have got to take it serious. It is not, oh, oops, oh, just a little. No. There's no little sin. Man, if we take it serious, and we war against the enemy, then we will find victory, and then we will live victorious lives. Not perfect lives. Because everyone in this room has made a mistake, has sinned. This guy, too. I don't sit before you as though I got it all figured out. I'm just telling you, I'm tired of seeing temptation in my life. I'm tired of fighting the fight. You know when Paul says, look at this, another Kleenex. Maria, you're awesome. I don't know where this is coming from, guys. I don't know. I'm talking what? Paul says it best. He says what? I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to part and be with Christ. But it is more needful that I stay with you. I, every day I live in this world, I get more and more his desire to go home. Anybody else want to go home? Tired? Tired of Satan and his junk? Tired of the world pushing this junk? Tired of just, man, I get, really? I said that? What was I even thinking? I thought that? Why would I even do that? Man, I just want to go home. But we're here. So what do we do? We fight the good fight while we're here. We stay focused on the things of Christ. How do we respond to all this? Because honestly, words of bitterness... They don't do it. Attacking a person doesn't do it. Tearing someone down doesn't do it. Now, how do we respond to this? I believe this topic hits very close to home for some of us. Some of us in this room right now have family members that have professed to be homosexual, LGBT, transgender, whatever other descriptive term you want to give. Some of you have children, family members, people that were just, even in the church, People that know Christ as Savior. And you might say, oh, brother, I don't know that you can be homosexual and be a Christian. Can you sin and be a Christian? I don't believe you can do it for a long period of time without being convicted. And having God come at you and convict you and remind you of that. I think if you're a Christian and you're living in sin, any sin, you feel conviction. I don't believe you can go your whole life and just say, oh, I said a prayer so I'm good. Man, let God sort all that out. But I'll tell you right now, if you're in sin right now, continuous habitual sin, unrepentant sin with no conviction, then I would encourage you, as Paul says, work out your own salvation between you and God with fear and trembling. Because there's a chance you may not be a Christian. But some of you in this room, you have family members that are Christians, that are genuinely converted, showed fruit of repentance, and are now in this situation. What do you do? 
What do you do with your neighbor or coworker that professes to be homosexual? Our response will vary with time. First, we are angry or shocked. We are tempted to react in the flesh instead of acting like Christ. We want to yell and scream and hoop and holler. Or we want to deny, deny, deny. We want to bury it down. Well, we just don't talk about that. The passage from Romans that we read was written to the Gentiles of the world to establish their need for repentance and a Savior. Go over to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Romans 2, Paul establishes the need for the Jews to, to find Christ, to have the repentance. Romans 1, it's all about Gentiles. Romans 2, mostly about the Jews need repentance. Romans 3, the whole world needs repentance. Paul was building a beautiful case for the need for Christ. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now we want to stop right there, don't we? Because we think, oh, that's me. Oh, I'm such a sinner. Man, we better be very aware of our sin. But look at the next verse. Being justified, what is it? Freely. By not our works, but by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we are not redeemed by our works. We have all sinned, yes. And that word sin there is a word for where we get hamartiology, hamartia, sin, all sin. It literally means all have sinned and all sin. That's how you would translate that. In the Bible, there's different words for sin. Certain sins have certain words. So uh, a moral sin might carry a different word in the original language for that sin word. Uh, in other sins, it's different words. In this, in the Greek, it actually literally means all sin. So all have sinned in all sin. So who's left out? Nobody. But doesn't that passage make Romans 1 a little more powerful? You know what he's saying? Those very same Gentiles from Romans 1, guess what could happen? They could be justified freely by his grace. Do you see how we can't start doing this whole, but you, and, and, but, yeah, but you did and I did and I. If you look this way long enough, you can make yourself look pretty good. If this is your moral judging, this is your plumb line, if you will, we're all pretty righteous. I'm not as bad as them, those ones over there. Not on this side of the church. I'm just using the figurative them over there. I mean, this, these are pretty good people over here. I don't know. Probably better than a couple of them. I don't really know, okay? Definitely better than a couple of them. Definitely. Yeah. I'm not going to say which ones, though. But anyway, I don't want to be offended and write emails. But we do this, don't we? We start elevating. He says, I don't know. All have sinned in all sin. There is no sin that you can say, well, I know I've never done. Because what does James say again? If you offend in one area, you've offended in all. Well, I've never committed murder. Really? Jesus said if you speak hate to your brother, you've committed murder against them. Well, I've never done that. Really? Because if you've done this, you've done this. Well, I've never really lied. Really? Even the white ones? It's just crazy to me how we do this. <clears throat> this passage from Romans is given so much more of a picture. Romans 6.23. Let's continue this thought along. For the wages of sin is 
death. Eternal separation from God. That's the payment for our sin. What sin? All sin. Every sin. Not one specific sin. The sin that's in the human race. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we understand how far we have fallen, how disgusting sin is before God, all sin, including the sin of homosexuality, the power of Romans 6.23 is magnified. We all have a need for a Savior. So when you are dealing with this specific topic of sin in your family or friends, start by acknowledging your sin is no different and the grace he gave you is equally available to them. How do I talk to my family member about this sin that they're in? I'm really concerned for them. Well, you sit down with them and you address the fact that you've sinned, that you're guilty of sin, that you've been forgiven of sin, and that, yes, while they may not see it and they won't see it right away, that that is sin, not because you say it's sin, not because some guy on TV says it's sin, not because a church says it's sin, because God's word says it's sin. If you go back and you look at anything that we believe, and the downfall of it in our lives. It's usually because we stopped elevating the word of God as authority over our lives. See, if I remove this, this book and I take this away, I can do whatever I want and I can justify myself. In my own eyes, it's right. I know, I know the Bible says don't speak words of bitterness or wrath or anger. But I remove this and now I can do whatever I want because you don't understand what I went through today and what this person did to me. I know this says to love my enemies as myself and to serve them. But if one of my enemies do this, I can do whatever I want. We start removing this as an authority and we can live however we want. The same thing is true with intimacy and relationships. Again, some of you harp and holler about homosexuality. And listen, it is, let me say it again, it is a sin. It is not God's design. But Peter says if, if you don't honor your wife, if you don't treat her with grace, that your very prayers can be hindered. So husbands in the room, and I'm not just picking on, I'm picking on you more because, hey, I, I can't speak necessarily to the wife point of view. Because I, I mean, I, I'm a husband. Just cluing you in on something here, okay? If I don't treat Sandra with grace as I ought to treat her, my very prayers can be hindered. So maybe then hooping and hollering for 30 minutes about this topic, I need to take a minute and go, how am I following my biblical commands as a husband? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You know what that means, husbands? The longer your wife is married to you, the longer she should feel like she's married to Jesus. And it got silent. Man, we need to be aware of this stuff. Listen, when we remove this, and it's not that we're perfect. It's, it's, it's what Jesus said about the, the moat and the log. And you see your brother with the piece of sawdust in their eye. And you want to help them. But you've got a two-by-four in yours. He says, get the two-by-four out of your eye. Then you can see properly how to help them. So if you see someone in this sin, in this lifestyle, in your family or friends, yes, we go to them. Yes, we have conversations and we confront sin with, with truth. But we better make sure our eyes are clean. And we've addressed our own hearts and minds. And then we've asked questions like this. Why do I want to talk to them? Why do I want to have this conversation? Is it for their benefit or so I can feel justified that I told them what's up? We have conversations, not arguments. I got to close. I didn't even realize what time it was. I looked back there and I was like, how is TJ not throwing something at me right now? 
Here's the truth, real quick. We need to understand that there is a difference between moral conviction and prejudice. This is so important. There is a difference between moral conviction and prejudice. I would want my family member or friend to know that because I love them, I want them to know the truth, even if it is unpopular. It's not about protesting or name-calling. It's about bringing light of the gospel to the world, which includes the homosexual community. This is not about prejudice or looking down on people. This is about moral conviction. And so I want you to, to spend some time in prayer this morning and ask God, give me wisdom in this and help me to have an awareness of this that I can think as you would want me to think. Let's bow in prayer. and We are going to have a time of invitation. If, if you need to step out for some reason, please don't feel weird about that. If you need to step away, step away. That is fine. But I want to encourage you to just bow right where you are. The band's going to come and they're going to, they're going to lead us in a song of invitation. And I want you to just respond this morning. And as they play this song for us and we follow them in worship and we, may it not be a song that we just sing to kind of just wholeheartedly, just kind of ho-hum, but maybe we do it wholeheartedly, that we would actually think about this song and realize that, that God is not done with this community. That God is bringing revival and we can be a part of it by not name-calling, but by having conversations and inviting people into the gospel of Christ and opening the doors of communication that they would see, not their need for behavior modification, but their need for a Savior. Father, may you lead, guide, and direct in all of this. We need you. Thank you for showing us that we are all equally in need of a Savior, that there is no one in this room that is better than another, that we've all come to this the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through your grace. And may we, as followers of Christ, go out into this world and share your message with those that need it. Father, I know my own heart. I know my own mind. And I know that my prayer for the last two weeks was that this message would be an encouragement. If there's someone in this room that is feeling tempted with that same-sex attraction, I pray that they would not feel weird feel isolated or just abandoned. But they would go to their family members or friends that are followers of Christ and they would have a conversation. Lord, there are some in this room right now that are married, have husbands and wives for a short time or a long time and they've been tempted with the opposite sex attraction. And in their marriage, they've had to war against Satan in the flesh and put up guards and defend against that. Lord, we're all able to be tempted. And so I pray that we would all understand we need you. And we need to speak truth in love. We need to attack lies. There is one design. And so I pray that we would live in that, not so that we could just look down on people, but we could experience the fullness of the joy that comes from following Christ. May we know that you alone save. There is only one name that we need to be saved under. And it's the name of Jesus Christ. And so maybe just confess and repent of whatever we need to do this morning, Lord. I pray you just move. That's really what I want. I just, I guess, Holy Spirit, feel free to lead God and direct. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you sing out as we are led in the song of worship, God of the city? He is the God of the city, and I believe he's moving. And I, I don't know about you, but I want to get involved in this, what he's doing. So let's sing out and be a partner with Christ in reaching this world for Christ.